Good morning. We welcome you to our Bible class. Be ready for this study by having your Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. <clears throat> A friend of mine said one time, Life without God is like an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. Our journey through Ecclesiastes is confirming that when we try to find fulfillment here on earth without God, there is no point. Solomon says, all is vanity. The book of Ecclesiastes is written in the structure of Hebrew poetry, written by Solomon, but it's from God for our learning and wise living today. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, after prayer. Heavenly Father, we express to Thee our love, our adoration, and gratitude for Thy grace, so perfectly expressed in Jesus Christ, who lived and died for us, that our lives can be full and complete in Him. Help us to be enriched by this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Well, this is a beautiful Hebrew poem, very well written, one of the most quoted passages in all of the Bible and certainly in all of Ecclesiastes. It may also be one of the most misunderstood passages in the Old Testament and in Ecclesiastes. Here's a good place to start. Just take a look at the lines and read verses 1 through 8 and form your first impression. And keep it very simple. You are not looking to define every word or to engage in any kind of in-depth literary analysis or comparison with another passage or anything like that. Nor are you trying to factor this into the time frame of Solomon or anything. You're just reading the lines and you're forming your very first simple impression. Keep you're thinking simple. That's a good way to start <clears throat> in navigating this text. 
Now, when I do that, my first impression is there are events listed here that I like, and there are other events listed here that I do not like. Uh, That's just a very simple impression that the words make in my mind upon first reading. I like healing, not killing. I prefer laughter to weeping. I like love over hate. I prefer peace over war. Now, when you go through the passage that way, as I said before, that isn't an in-depth analysis of the passage. It's not a real deep exposition of every line and phrase and word, but it'll get you started. And it leads me to some first thoughts about the text. And one of my first thoughts working from this very simple perspective is, no human being has the option of just going through these events and picking out what you like as if you were at Luby's. This is the way it is here on earth. The passage is not giving you choices that you can make. And so you get up one day and open up Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8 and say, well, I think I'll take love today. And a couple of days later, you open it up and say, well, it's time to throw rocks. That's not what the passage is telling us at all. No human being has the option of just going through these events and picking out what you like as if you were at Luby's. I don't care how rich you are, how wealthy you are, your position or rank or anything, or how poor you are, how unfortunate your circumstances are. These are things that occur here on earth. This is life under the sun. Our existence here on earth brings into our lives the good and the bad, the positive and the negative, and you can't have all of one and none of the other. Solomon doesn't say, here you go, pick out what you like. This is not a list of options or choices. This is the way it is here on earth. Now, this question might help. Do you know of anybody who has had a life that has been lived entirely on the positive side of what is described in this paragraph? Do you know anybody who has never suffered any tragedy never had any pain, never endured any difficulty, no suffering at all. I've been on the earth for 70 years, and I haven't yet met or heard of the person with a perfectly peaceful existence under the sun that has been lived entirely on the positive side of what is described in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. No, this is the way it is on earth for everybody at one time or another. And it's another way of saying that if you're searching for personal fulfillment in its entirety here on earth, leaving God out, you're chasing after wind. 
You're going to be moving around between both sides of the negative and the positive all of your life. There's not some way that you can discover that will put you entirely and perfectly and forever on the positive side of what the poem describes. You get both. You get a mixture of the good with the bad. I want to remember that this is a post-Genesis 3 world that we live in. It's not paradise. There were consequences God decreed after sin entered the world. So it's a post-Genesis 3 world that we live in. And the only way to make sense of everything here on earth under the sun and then put your life on the best possible course is to fear God and keep His commandments. Solomon doesn't get to that in very specific terms till he gets to the end of the book. But that's where he's headed. That's Solomon's destination. He says, here's the way it is under the sun. Here is life on earth. Here's the way it is. And eventually he takes everybody to that final conclusion. Fear God and keep His commandments. The only way to make sense of everything and put your life on the best possible course while you're here is to fear God and keep His commandments. You see that? We've said many times in the course of our study in Ecclesiastes so far, when you're living under the sun, you will not find your purpose under the sun. You'll only find your purpose in your relationship with the maker of the sun. And you enter into that relationship with the maker of the sun through Jesus Christ, as the New Testament says. Questions or comments? Now, for me to go through each phrase in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, in expository structure and format, and comment on each phrase and define every word and take us into analysis of the literary structure just doesn't seem to fit what we need to do here. It doesn't seem efficient to me. It would be redundant. I think we have the main idea. This is the way it is here on earth, or as Solomon says, under the sun. He's not really telling us to do anything at this point. He just wants his readers to understand <clears throat> that this is the way it is. The good happens alongside the bad for everybody here under the sun. The only way to arrive at a good end when you leave life under the sun is to fear God and keep His commandments. The universe, we discovered this back in chapter 1 really, the universe has a regularity and pattern about it uh, that is beyond the scope of human control and renders futile any attempts to wrestle against it. So you can spend your life under the sun wrestling with all this and trying to get all the positive packed into your life and leave off all the negative, but Solomon says there's a time for both. This is the way it is under the sun. Now, here's what I believe confirms everything we've just said about the text in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. 
And it's what you hear me say a lot. You come to a place in the Bible and you're not certain about your conclusion. You're not certain about your first impression. Very often what you do is just keep reading. So, 9 through 15. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 15. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. If my work and my life and my hope is limited to what's here under the sun on the earth, what gain has the worker from his toil? That's Solomon's question here. If my life and work and hope is limited to here, what's under the sun, what gain has the worker from his toil? If my engagement with life is limited to earthly events, there will be the good and the bad. There'll be a time for this and a time for that. I cannot change or overcome that outcome, that circumstance of the function and cycle of time on earth. If I think there will come a time later when it will be all good, I set myself up for disappointment. Ask people who are retired, or maybe who should be retired. Ask them, when you look back, was there a time early in life when you thought, well, someday it'll just all be good? Well, check with them now, people who are retired or older. And they'll tell you, no, there was a time for this and a time for that, and there still is. This is the way it is under the sun. The only way I can have a good outcome is to fear God and keep His commandments, to be busy with only what the world offers without God is vanity. That's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. It may be that there is a key statement here in verse 11. I want you to look at verse 11 and see if this is not a key statement. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He, in this sentence, is God, the Creator, the Maker of the Son. The way things are on earth exist under the wisdom and control of God. We ought to be very careful about saying, I just don't like the way things are here on earth. 
I don't like that there are cycles of events that come and go. Well, God has set it up this way. And remember, we're working after Genesis 3, still working with the consequences of sin. The way things are on earth exist under the wisdom and control of God. I don't think this verse is about specific control of every human choice and every earthly event. Rather, God fixed it where things happen, as expressed in Solomon's poem. Anytime we discuss God's sovereignty, God's providence, God's control, we never arrive at a perfect understanding of everything about that. Because we are humans with finite capacity. We trust God in these matters. We are convinced of His sovereignty, His wise administration. We believe the way God set everything up is beautiful in its time, though we cannot take all that into perfect objective analysis. Trust. Now, verse 11 contains a key statement I want us to include in our study. I'm talking about the statement that he has put eternity into man's heart. Man's heart. Human beings, not rocks, birds, trees, flowers, weeds, grass. Genesis testifies man was made in the image of God. So we are beings made in the image of God, meaning we are contemplative. We can take in information and sort information out and think about things and raise questions and sometimes come up with answers. There are questions that most people ask at some point in their existence, often very early. Why am I here? What is the best way to spend my time while I'm here? What about the future? What about death? Drive-by cemeteries and your friends die and you go to funerals and read obituaries. What about death? How do I get ready for that? What will happen? Now, these are questions people commonly ask at some point in their existence, often very early. And when I brought this up Wednesday night, I said rocks and animals and trees do not engage in such contemplation. Human beings were made in the image of God. God gave us the ability to think and plan and make choices and be contemplative. Many people who entertain these questions either do not arrive at the right answers from the right source, or they just eventually dismiss the questions and maybe dance them away or drink them away or party them away. Ecclesiastes brings us face to face with these inquiries. And Ecclesiastes takes us to the right answer, that our purpose is to glorify God, to fear God and keep His commandments. My present point is, one reason we think about these things is God put eternity in our hearts. God made us with this inner component of His image 
to think about the future and to seek answers about why we're here and what will happen when we die. We search for eternal purpose and reward and significance because God made us that way. Now, the answers to these questions are not under the sun. The answers to these questions are not under the sun. The answers are given by the maker of the sun, God, in His Word. That's where we find the answers to these questions that we contemplate. What is accessible to us is what God has revealed, that we can enter into a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Now, when it says God put eternity in our hearts, does this mean we can understand everything God does perfectly? No, because look at this phrase. We cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. If you want to be as smart as God, may I recommend you dismiss that thought based on this and something else we studied earlier in the book. We cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. What we can find out is the reality of our sin and being forgiven by Christ, entering into relationship with God and being obedient to Him. What is accessible to us is we can receive the gifts God intended for us to have, serve Him, be disciples of Christ, and go to heaven. The longing for a good eternal outcome that God put in our hearts can be received and the answers are given not only at the end of this book, Fear God and Keep His Commandments, but specifically in the New Testament, the Gospel of Christ. The rest of the paragraph, I want to take from the NIV 12 to 15. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 15, I want to take from the NIV. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. What is has already been. And what will be has been before. And God will call the past into account. The way to fulfill your purpose, be content and look forward to a good eternal outcome when your life under the sun is over, is to receive what God gives you, use it in keeping with His will, Enjoy what you have, trusting God and fearing Him all the time, and knowing that God will call the past into account. I'm going to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire which nothing on earth can satisfy, the explanation is, I was made for another world. The only way I can get to that other perfect eternal place is fear God and keep His commandments. I can do that and get there because of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. 
I'm paraphrasing C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire which nothing on earth can satisfy, the explanation is I was made for another world. The only way I can get to that other perfect eternal place is to fear God and keep His commandments. And I can do that and get there because of Jesus Christ. Questions or comments about what we've studied? Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the poem in verses 1 through 8, and then the commentary in verses 9 through 15. This is the way it is under the sun. So I need to attach myself through Christ to the maker of the sun because there will be a final accounting. Questions or comments? Takeaways. Time presents no frustration to God. It presents all kinds of frustration for me and for you, but no frustration for God. God knows that all these activities, events, and moods occur here, as written in verses 1 through 8. He will accomplish His will in ways not entirely known by us through this linear passage and cycle of time. Nothing takes God by surprise. Now, this is liberating and comforting for God's people, people who trust in Him. As Christians, we live in the hands of one who made it all and who set it all up, ultimately to His glory. By His grace in Christ, we can be His children even though here under the sun we go through these human events, some good and some bad. God is not frustrated by the passage of time, though we sometimes are. This text is not written to tell us the right things, or right times to do the right things. Certainly, I should think about the right time to do the right things, but this passage doesn't spell it out or put that on the calendar for me. This passage doesn't say, okay, Berkeley, at 2.30 on December the 20th, it's going to be time to weep. And then when the sun comes up the next day, it's going to be time to laugh. That's not what this passage does for me or you or anyone. This text is not written to tell us the right time to do things. Let me explain. I may be getting a little ahead of myself here, but I need to go ahead and explain this. Some passages are prescriptive. Do this. Don't do this. In the epistles, we find passage after passage that is prescriptive. This is what the Lord prescribes for you to do. Other passages, particularly in the Old Testament, in poetic literature and in narratives, in historical narratives, the passages are descriptive. Where God says, 
this is what happened, or this is the way it is. And there are a lot of passages in Ecclesiastes that are descriptive. And they're simply telling us, this is the way it is. So it's not that Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, is a day planner for you, a calendar where everything is all scheduled out, and this day you're going to weep, and this day you're going to laugh. That's not what this is about. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. Now, there is a storehouse of great wisdom in Proverbs <coughs> and in the New Testament teaching us to use good sense and to apply God's wisdom about when to do things and when to refrain from things. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage doesn't provide personal specification. Doesn't provide personal specification. It is not the intent of the writer here to tell us when to weep and when to laugh, only to make certain we understand that God has set up a world where both will occur. You with me there? Thus we see that the writer, the preacher, is not saying what people ought to do. It is simply describing the situations that we end up in under the sun. And it conveys to us that if we're looking for eternal fulfillment, there's going to be a mixture of the good and bad if we're limited to what's under the sun. This is no, one writer said, this is no prescriptive listing of these opposite activities. Rather, it is a descriptive inventory of the things that comprise human existence. The things that comprise human existence. All right? Number uh, three. I may have said this in an earlier class, but it bears repeating. Work hard. But don't expect to get from work what work was never intended to give. Do you remember how happy you were when you received your very first paycheck? Or if you started working back in the 50s, when I started working with my first job, it wasn't a paycheck for many of us. It was called a pay envelope. And my first couple of pay envelopes had quarters in them. So go back and remember your first paycheck or your first pay envelope and the excitement that you had when you got that first paycheck, pay envelope. What about the payday after that? What about the paydays after that? Most of us, looking back over our paydays, observe diminishing fulfillment. That's the way work and pay is under the sun. It has diminishing fulfillment. Diminishing fulfillment. We have discovered that while hard work and good pay is to be desired, there is something better. There's another need within us that must be met. And that's what Solomon wants us to remember. Fear God and keep His commandments. Work hard. Be responsible and honest and energetic 
in all of your career and your work and try to get that good paycheck. Use those paychecks wisely to take care of yourself and your family and participate in the Lord's work and help people who need help. But know all along when you're working and getting those checks, there is something better. And you will experience diminishing fulfillment over time as you get those paychecks. The one you're getting now is not nearly as exciting as that first little brown envelope of quarters or dollar bills or whatever it was. You with me? Number four. Of course, Colossians 3, please. Of course, in all of our study of Ecclesiastes, we must be adjusting our sights higher than the earth, than under the sun. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, did you hear that? We've been working here in Ecclesiastes about descriptions and realities and vanities that are down here. On the earth, under the sun. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's an excellent summary of what we're looking at in Ecclesiastes. I must constantly be making certain that I'm adjusting my sights to that higher realm, that eternal outcome. What the world offers has diminishing fulfillment. What's here in linear, earthbound time will never provide the full satisfaction God made you to have. If Solomon could not find satisfaction with his money and his endeavors, and his parties, and his achievements on earth, we certainly cannot. We can, however, find perfect satisfaction with God through Jesus Christ. Every now and then Solomon says, enjoy what you have here under the sun, but there's more. Very simple message that Solomon conveys from time to time. Enjoy what you have under the sun, but while you enjoy it, recognize that there's more that you've got to be preparing for. So enjoy food without overindulging. Enjoy sex within the pure relationship of marriage. Enjoy your hard work and all the accomplishment and fruit of your hard work, but while recognizing the limited gain that's embedded in it, the diminishing return that you get from it. The enjoyment of life here under the sun is not a sin. So long as you're receiving and using what God provides while honoring and glorifying him.
You still with me? I was tempted to put up there, instead of this phrase on the slide, just the phrase, don't go crazy. Uh, then I had second thoughts about that because it, it would cry out for context. <laughs> so here's what I'm talking about. Don't exercise yourself into depression or drive yourself crazy trying to explain all the enigmas of life. Just act on what you know is right before God without trying to answer all the questions and solve all the mysteries a function of the philosophy of humanism is that man can figure everything out. And that has sent the message throughout our society that you need to take all these mysteries, things that you don't know the answer to, and, and you've got to frantically sit down and get those things figured out. Forget that. Forget that. You're just going to drive yourself crazy. I don't want you to do that. Just act on what you know is right before God without trying to answer all the questions and solve all the mysteries. Solomon tells us in verse 11, we cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And Solomon had already said to us back in chapter 1 uh, that we just cannot fix everything. So if you can't answer everything and you can't fix everything and you know that, just settle in with what you know is right before God. People are always coming to preachers thinking that they've got it all figured out. They've got answers to everything. <laughs> not, not this one. And do you know the one? And you go to him and say, boy, I just don't understand this. This person did this and this happened and this war occurred over here and these people are in conflict and you got cancer over here and this died. Explain all that. And the preacher says, I don't know. You, you need to give the preacher room for ignorance. <laughs> because we've all got a big streak of ignorance going on. That Solomon tells us that we can't figure everything out. I can read the Bible and try to understand it and put it into a presentation where it will help you. Read to you what it says, what God says, but we ought not to exercise ourselves into depression and drive ourselves crazy about enigmas of life that uh, we're never going to understand. You, you'll waste a lot of time attempting that. A and you will go into periods of great frustration when you try to know everything and answer everything. Just know what God has said you ought to do. And get busy with that. Do your best and don't drive yourself crazy. Thomas Watson, I'll end with this quote. Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. Thank you very much for your attention to our study.